Good morning. I am Jared Kirk, pastor of Renewal Church. I'm glad that you are here today. It is the end of 40 Days with Jesus. We are celebrating. Congratulations to those of you who completed 40 Days with Jesus, to those of you who are on 41, 42, 43 Days with Jesus. Keep going strong. You're going to finish soon. I know it. I think I took about 42 days to read through the book of Luke. So uh, we're just, you know, we're celebrating something that happened here. If you're, if you're newer, if you're a guest here, here's the basic idea behind 40 Days with Jesus. And we just noticed this, that when people spend time with Jesus, they come away changed. It was true with the Apostle Peter. It was true with Mary Magdalene. It was true with Zacchaeus. When people spent time with Jesus, their life was radically transformed. And it's because Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a great teacher. He was the Christ. And so when people were with him, they came away changed. So as a church, we said, okay, let's dedicate ourselves to spending 40 days with Jesus in an, in an intense way. And so we'll read through the Bible every day. We read through the book of Luke, and we'll join together in study groups and study that. Some of you did memory verses, and we we're just kind of trying to to surround ourselves, immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus, and, you know, you did it. I heard from a lot of you who read through the book. Judith, our setup person, nailed it in exactly 40 days, and that does not surprise me about her at all. She is, she's a machine. Um, you know, w- whether it was uh, the community groups or some of you came to the Theology of Christ seminar that we held a week ago, that was incredible. Um, and I just know that people received direction and guidance and peace from Jesus, one person, we, we reached out to the church to say, you know, how has God worked in your life during this time? And one person said this, 40 days with Jesus has reminded me of the importance of helping the poor and the simplicity of Jesus' life and message. I hadn't been able to memorize scripture for a while, but I challenged myself through this study. And that, that's just characteristic of what people, people did. Our church dug deep to know him more. For me as a pastor, what was so amazing about 40 days with Jesus is not what people were doing. It's not that people were checking boxes of a task. It's who they were doing it with. For so many people, this was a time when Jesus showed up in your life. It renewed your faith. It brought you closer to God, increased your love for Jesus, and helped you connect deeply in your faith. Another person in our church said this, God has worked in amazing ways during these 40 days with Jesus. For starters, he has increased my desire to learn about Jesus. I have loved learning about parts of Jesus I had not yet seen or read about. Additionally, this is actually my favorite part of any response that we got back. Additionally, he has extended his grace in times when I was not able to complete the daily reading consistently. I, I felt increased anxiety whenever I would miss days and felt God's peace and reassurance that it didn't matter if I missed days as long as I continued to read, to which we all just said, Amen. <laughs> Lastly, this person continues, spending time with Jesus has allowed me to bring him many of my insecurities about the future regarding my studies. I am happy that God has allowed me to make my decision about a future step I should take and see where that leads me. And it's no surprise that when you spend time with Jesus, you gain peace, you get guidance, you get direction, you come away changed. And I'm, I'm really proud to pastor a church that seeks Jesus daily. And this 40 days with Jesus was a very important time for me personally as well. Uh, I was in a challenging place with my, my faith when we started. And God used just the most interesting verse to speak to me and get me through it. In Luke, Jesus says this, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and, and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. And when I read that, I thought, That's hilarious. Because in Matthew, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And in Luke, you can move mulberry trees. And I felt like I had more of a Luke faith than a Matthew faith. You know what I'm saying? But I, it, it all brought me back to the, 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 
the core of that parable, which is it's not about how much faith you have. You can't move mountains or mulberry trees, right? It's about having this much faith in the right place, in the right person. And so it all brought me back to that simple faith in Jesus and trusting him to do everything that I can't do, whether it's a mulberry tree or a mountain. And so I'm very thankful to God personally for this 40 days with Jesus. And I know that many of you are as well. Now, to those of you who are newer to the church and you haven't gone through 40 days with Jesus with us, you know, I bet that you have some things you could thank God for as well. All of us have things which we could show gratitude to God for, whether it's a new job, a restored relationship, a healed body, a new sense of peace, a reliable friend. Man, if you've got a loyal friend, you've got something to thank God for. Some of you have started a relationship with God just this year. Some of you have started a relationship with that special someone just this year, and you are praising God every day. So here's what we wanted to do. We wanted to take a Sunday to just stop and celebrate what God has done, all that he's done for us, not just 40 days with Jesus, everything that the Lord has done to us. We don't want to take our blessings, clutch them to our chest, and just take off running, never looking back to say thank you to the Lord. So that's what we're doing. We're celebrating. And there's a story in the book of Luke. We've been teaching through the book of, we've been looking at stories in the book of Luke about 10 people that Jesus has blessed, and there is one person of the 10 that returns to praise him. And so let's dig into that story together about what it means to return to praise Jesus. Now, you've got some teaching notes that were handed to you when you came in, so pull those out. And if you look inside, the text is printed on there. The story is about Jesus healing 10 lepers, and this is how it starts. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, when Jesus travels to Jerusalem, he's not just on vacation. This is always Jesus' intentional, kind of plotting um, way that he's headed towards the cross. He, he knows what's waiting for, in his, for him in Jerusalem. He's on his way there. He's on the border between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee is considered a part of Israel. Samaria is considered its own Nation, and we've talked about this in weeks past, the Samaritans were seen as half-bloods. They were seen as an, an impure bloodline, and there was an, just an intense, intense ethnic and religious animosity between Jews and Samarians. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, ten men with leprosy are calling out to Jesus, and the reason they're at a distance is because leprosy is essentially a death sentence for people in ancient times. There was no cure for leprosy. It was a skin disease that might start as a small spot, would spread over your whole body until you were disfigured. Um, parts of you would go numb and then start to fall. They would rot and fall off. And so it was just a, just a completely destructive disease. There's no known cure. And so those who were discovered to have it because it was contagious were required to permanently leave the community and live in a camp outside of town. They also had to stay 100 paces away from healthy people and loudly announce that they were unclean whenever someone approached to ensure that the disease didn't spread. So I pulled for you in your notes the, the, the Old Testament passage about people with leprosy. It's Leviticus 13. Because I know when you woke up this morning, you were like, I hope it's Leviticus today. Like, I hope we're just going straight to Leviticus and the purity laws. Well, guess what? It is your lucky day. Here's what it says, Leviticus 13. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. 
and it, that's unbelievably harsh. It's also in a society in which there's no cure for leprosy and it's incredibly contagious, it's also the only way to keep the community safe. And so they have to live outside the camp. And so that was written by Moses. And then here we are about a thousand years later, and um, they're still practicing these purity laws. And you have this group of 10 lepers living outside the camp. But here's what's interesting about this to me. They're not just sick. They're also cut off. So when it's found and discovered that you have leprosy, it means that you can never hug your family again. You have to live outside the community. They're cut off from the community, cut off from human touch. They're cut off from hope, and they're begging for mercy. So the story continues. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus here gives them a command to obey. He just says, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they obey, they are healed. That's the power of Jesus' words. There's no, you know, he doesn't have to work himself up. He doesn't have to like perform a ritual. He doesn't have to touch. He doesn't even have to say be healed. He just says, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they obey, then they are healed. And I, I feel like because we don't know leprosy, like the only fact I knew about leprosy before I studied for this passage is that you can, um, you can get it from, is it aardvarks? What is it? They're those little, they're the, the little mammals. Armadillos. You can get leprosy from armadillos, so don't touch a dead armadillo. That's free. You can have that, that totally free. Apparently, I didn't know that fact. So he, he sends them to go show themselves to their priests. And here's what I didn't know about leprosy. No one had been healed of leprosy in Israel in 700 years. So when Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, it had been 700 years since someone had been healed of leprosy. The only two people in the history of Israel that had ever healed someone was, uh, that had been healed was Miriam. She was healed by Moses. And then there was a man named Naaman, and he was healed by Elisha. And so there's these three ages of miracles that happen in the Bible. We tend to think of the Bible that miracles are happening just constantly. Most people lived their lives. They, they were born. They had their kids. They died. They never saw a miracle. But in the ages of Moses and then his protege, protege Joshua, in the age of Elijah, Elijah and his protege Elisha, and then in Jesus and his apostles are the three ages of miracles, and that's when people are, are healed of leprosy by Moses, Elijah, and then Jesus. So it was widely believed, because no one had been healed in 700 years, that only God could cure leprosy. And I want to show this to you. When Naaman, who is one who is healed, asked the king of Israel for healing, here's what the king replies in 2 Kings 5, 7. The king says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of this leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a fight with me? Only God can cure leprosy. But here Jesus does it with just a word. And he tells them to go show themselves to the priest because that's what the law requires. Whenever someone's healed, they have to go to the priest and the priest performs a ceremony. It's a, it's a ceremony to, to kind of prove and confirm their healing so they can be brought back into the, into the community. And this hadn't happened for 700 years. So it's hilarious to me to think about the 10 lepers who show up to the priests and they say, hey, we got cured of leprosy. And the priests kind of look at each other like, do you remember the leprosy thing? Like, like I, I don't know. They're like, hold on a second, guys. We're going to have to look this one up. It's been 700 years. And so they have to go into the law. They look up the ceremony for, for leprosy, for the healing from leprosy, and they, they perform it. Now, Every time someone was healed, they go to a local priest and have a ceremony performed. And think about how many people were healed over the course of Jesus' ministry. I mean, was it hundreds? Was it thousands? Wouldn't it be crazy if in a totally different part of the Bible, it says that a huge number of priests had come to faith? 
And wouldn't it be interesting if, if it was because they had performed all these ceremonies for all these people who were healed? Look at Acts, a uh, different book of the Bible, Acts 6, 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus sends these men to the priests, and as they are going, they look at each other. They say, you look different. You look changed. They look at themselves. They realize they're healed. They're overjoyed because they're no longer sick. They're no longer cut off, but only one of the ten does something extraordinary. Before he gets to the priests, he turns back. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. This one man returns to praise him. He's praising God. He's throwing himself down at Jesus' feet. He's thanking him. Jesus asks, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise God except this foreigner? Then he says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. It's actually a natural human reaction to get what you were hoping for and to run off clutching your blessings and forget to return to praise him. It's just a human thing. But when this man returns to thank Jesus for mercy, he receives a blessing that the other nine don't receive. His faith has prompted him to return to the feet of Jesus in thanks. And that, that personal contact, that personal sub, submission signifies a soul healing that is more than just skin deep. Jesus tells him, your faith has made you well. And if you translate that literally, it says, your faith has saved you. There's an intentional ambiguity in the words of Jesus about whether that's about his body or about his soul. Your faith has saved you. It's rescued you. Jesus has literally saved his life. And then in returning for this personal contact and submission to Jesus, he finds that faith has saved him, not just healed his body. The, the leper who returns has focused more on the giver than the gift. And found an additional blessing. He's focused more on the man than on the mercy he's received. And then he discovers a faith that not only heals his body, but his soul as well. And so this story, as simple as it is, comes to us as a very simple question. Will I return to praise him? That's the question to you and me. Will I return to praise him? For the good he has done to me, for the blessings in my life that I have received, will I return to praise him? Even in the times of trouble and of sorrow, will I return to praise him for the good things he has given me, for the grace that he's given me, for the life that he's given me? Will I return to praise him? You see, no one in this church has leprosy to my knowledge. But in the Bible, leprosy is used as an intentional illustration of sin. You know why? Because leprosy will disfigure you. It will numb you. It will separate you from the community and the people that you love, and eventually it will kill you. It starts out as a small spot that grows and festers until it takes in the whole person, condemning him to death. And that's what sin is. Sin will disfigure the image of God in you. It will numb you. It will sear your conscience. It will separate you from the people that you love and the community that you value, and eventually it will kill you because the wages of sin is death. It starts out as just a small little thing, but it grows and festers until it consumes the whole person, condemning you to death. That's sin. And we need healing from sin. We need to be made clean. 
Now, in the Bible, there's a ceremony for when a leper is healed. And it's utterly fascinating. I'm not going to put it on the screens because it's long and involved. Um, But I put it in your notes. And essentially, here's what happens. When someone is healed of leprosy, the priests take the priests take two birds, um, probably pigeons, possibly doves, and he he kills one of the birds, and the blood of the bird goes into a clay pot full of water, and then the the live bird is dipped into the blood, and then the person who's been healed of leprosy is sprinkled seven times with the blood of the bird that's been killed. Now, personally, I'm really grateful that that's not what they do in the hospital when you've been healed of a disease anymore. (laughs) But you know what that's symbolizing? So there's a blood of an innocent sacrifice, and then when the other person is sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice, they're made clean, and then they take that live bird and they let it go free. God is setting up a system to show that through the, the sacrifice of innocent blood, when you are covered with, sprinkled with the blood of an innocent sacrifice, you are healed and set free. That's what the Bible says is true of everyone who turns from their sin to put their faith in Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2 puts it like this, to God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and what? Sprinkled with his blood. You have been sprinkled with the blood of an innocent sacrifice so that your sin is forgiven and the wound on your soul is healed. And so, so you've got a reason to praise him. You know, I bet God has blessed you greatly this past year. But even if it's been the hardest year of your life, he has still forgiven your sins through the death of his son. And so you've got a reason to praise him. Even if everything fell apart, you found yourself with no place to live, no food to eat, worried that your scholarship was going to get taken away and you have to quit school, devastated by the loss of a relationship that just left a hole in your life, the death of someone you loved or the departure of someone you were dating, and it just ripped you up. No matter how hard it's been, God has still blessed you by forgiving your sins through the death of his son. You've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the question for us as Christians is, will you return to praise him for all the good he's done and all the blessings in your life? Now, um, today, we have someone who's going to share with you just a little bit. Um, Grant has agreed to come and share with you a little bit of what he is celebrating and why he's thanking God in his life right now because he kind of went through a time of transition right that coincided with 40 days with Jesus. Um, So what I want you to do is... uh, Grant, why don't you come on up? Why don't you guys welcome Grant to the stage? He's going to share with you. Go ahead, man. Hey, everyone. So the last 40 days uh, that I've been engaged with the series and the journal have been one of the craziest times of my life. Uh, prior to starting 40 Days with Jesus and a few days into it, I was unemployed and seeking opportunities. Uh, I felt sad and almost depressed as I continued to get rejected um, by all the applications that I filled out. Uh, And then I decided to rely on Jesus and lean into his peace and love. 
Uh, as I began to do this in the mornings while going through the journal, uh, it impacted the rest of my day. Uh, I began to feel a joy in my life and was connected with the Father throughout the entire day, even though I had no job security or anything in sight. Uh, although I was terrified I was on how I was going to provide for my wife and myself and where I would end up in a job, I just continued to trust him. Uh, for a stretch of about a week and a half, I was just overwhelmed with the Lord's presence and uh, peace. It was truly incredible to feel him in such a miraculous way. Uh, within these 40 days, I went from being unemployed to receiving multiple job offers to starting a new job. And through all of this, I learned how to trust God more and lean into him. When times get difficult, uh, one verse that really spoke to me during this time was Luke 5, 16. Uh, which reads, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Uh, I found myself uh, deeply connecting with God um, uh, when I spent time with him alone and just really uh, connected with him. So I want to encourage you to trust and lean in the Lord when your future is not clear. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks, Grant. You know what, what I, one of the things I loved about when Grant reached out to me and, and shared kind of what was going on in his life is that um, you know, sometimes praise is the most profound when things aren't going right in your life. You ever notice that? that? When things are going good, it's good to praise the Lord when things are great in your life. But there's something so powerful about praising God when it's not going according to plan. The question for all of us is, will I return to praise him? Whether life is at its all-time high or whether you're unemployed and seeking opportunities. You're very diplomatic about that. <laughs> you know, will I return to praise him? Um, whether your life is, you know, full of, full of children or, you know, you're struggling to have kids and you want to. Whether you're just on your path to graduate right on time or school's a mess and you're worried you're going to drop out. You know, whether you're about to get engaged or... You know, you find yourself still single and asking God why his timing hasn't come already. Will I return to praise him? I wanted to talk to you guys um, at the end of the message here today about a way that I think we can tangibly show our thanks to God. One of the ways that um, in the Bible when people are blessed by the Lord is they give a thanksgiving offering. They just say, you know what, God has blessed me. I'm going to give something back to God as a tangible way to say thank you to him. And oftentimes, it's a gift to the poor. The Bible says things like when you, lend, um, when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord and he will repay you. And so one of the ways you can say thank you to God is by taking care of those in the society and community that have less. And so for us as a church, we have an end of year offering that's starting today, and it's called Let There Be Light. So would you guys take out the Let There Be Light um, brochure that was on everybody's chair. For us, let there be light. Ha it, what it is, is let, let's start with the basics. Every dollar given between today and December 31st goes to let there be light. And what happens is we, we all give, and I want to encourage you to pray about, God, what do you want me to give? My wife, Heather, and I have started that process. We know we're going to give. We're still talking about it, praying about it. God, what do you want to give to this offering through us? And every dollar you give goes to let there be light. Um, once the church's budget is met, um, every dollar above that goes to external, fund external projects that meet tangible needs 
and spiritual needs in Boston and around the world. And so if you look at the second page, you can see the kinds of projects that you're giving as funding in Boston and around the world. We support missionaries in Greece that work specifically with refugees from Syria and Iran and Afghanistan who have crossed there and are looking for a better life. They actually set up a missionary training school there because the men who were coming in were then filtering through the rest of Europe. And so they train men to start churches wherever they go, whether it's Berlin or London, all over Europe. The Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices helps expecting mothers to choose life for their children's children and life in Christ. And they make sure that they have all the tangible needs they, they need. So they, whether it's car seats or diapers or clothes or literally anything. Mary Ellen McCormick, we partner there. That's one of the largest low-income housing developments in the city of Boston. And your, your giving to Let There Be Light funds that. We do family outreaches like the live nativity that's happening so that families in the city of Boston can get a taste of what Jesus is really all about. And so that's an example of that. Church planting, we planted our church, Kings Hill and Mission Hill. We want to continue to support them, and we want to fund even more church plants around the city of Boston to help meet physical and spiritual needs around the city. And then we're able to pick up new this year, an orphanage in Haiti that works with special needs orphans. And there's stories behind all of these, and we're going to share these stories with you over the weeks to come, because I want you to kind of understand what each one is. And so each week, we'll pick one of these projects and highlight them, But I just believe that God wants us to be the kind of church that lives with extravagant generosity. Like my heart as a pastor is that we are not trying to hit a number. You know, it's like, you know, God's not interested in, you know, do you give this exact number amount? God wants us to be extravagant givers because that's what he's like in his nature. He's been so extravagantly generous with us by the gift of his son that we respond in extravagant generosity back to him. And so I just say this, if God has blessed you in 2019, If God's been good to you, would you consider giving a gift to let there be light above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings? And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the weeks to come. But just personally as a pastor, I'm excited about it because it allows us to do some good in the world. It allows us to love the people that God cares so deeply about. It allows us to meet physical needs and spiritual needs. Um, And I just believe also as a community, as a church, it allows us to grow to become generous the way that Jesus was generous. So it allows us to grow spiritually as well as we give. So what should you give to let there be light? That's between you and Jesus, man. I don't, I'm not going to tell you what to give. You know, that's the kind of thing where you just pray and say, God, you know, what would you like to, God, what do you want to give to this offering through me? And then with a cheerful heart, with deliberate intention, you know, give. And because it happens in November and December, you can give multiple times. Um, You could give in November and December. We have people do that each year just to make a difference. We have two goals for this offering. One goal is 100% participation, and the other goal is the numeric goal, $49,799. Here's why we have two goals. We have the number goal because there's some concrete good that we want to do in this city and in this world. And we have these organizations that we partner with and we want to be able to give a certain financial contribution like to our missionaries in Greece and to the Boston set, right? So that's why we have the numeric goal. But here's why we have the 100% participation goal. This one is just as important. Our goal is for every single person who attends a service between now and December 31st to give something to let there be light because we need to grow in generosity as a people. Like that, that's just my heart as a pastor is that we actually, I don't know if you would agree with this, but we live in the most affluent society that's ever lived in the history of humanity. 
And so we have this obligation as Christians to grow in our generosity. And that's why we sent the 100% participation goal. Whether you're a college student and you get an allowance of 50 bucks a week, or you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and your company gives you an allowance of $50,000 a month until you get your bonus check in February. Like, I don't know what your deal is. But here's the other thing I know just from past experience with our church. Um, Our church doesn't have sugar daddies. This is not like the, wealth, you know, like the wealthiest person in the church steps up and gives the whole amount. Our church, and I'm really proud of this, it's ordinary people with ordinary bills to pay. You live in Boston, extraordinary bills to pay. You know what I'm saying? That Saying, you know what? I, if I give in faith, I'm not, I'm not going to run out of money because God's going to take care of me. Have you ever met somebody who gave so much that they ran out of money? I just, I've never met that person yet. And yet we all have that fear. So I want you to pray about it. You're going to hear a little bit more about it in the weeks to come. But in the weeks to come, you'll hear more of those stories about how your giving makes an impact. And I think that's a legitimate way that as the church, you know, I think that's a very biblical way that we can say thank you to God and show gratitude to God. And I hope that you'll pray about that and do that with Heather and I. Here's the last way. Here's another tangible way to kind of move on to the next section of our our time together this morning that we can say thank you to the Lord. Um, by way of introduction to this, my, um, my grandfather on my mother's side passed away um, decades ago. He was 50 when he died. I, I never met him. And every year on the anniversary of his death, my mom lights a candle to remember, to remember him. For her, it's a way of showing gratitude to her father even though he's gone. In the same way for us, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, we are showing gratitude. The story of the 10 lepers, when the Samaritan returns to thank Jesus, when it says he returned to thank him, the word in Greek there is euchariston. It's the word we get our, we get our English word eucharist from. In other words, the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper together, when we remember his death and proclaim his coming, it's one more way that we show gratitude to God. So I want to invite the ushers to get in place with communion at this time, and I want to ask the worship team to come forward. The Lord's Supper is a way of saying thank you to Jesus by remembering his sacrifice and not belittling it.